You're listening to Reach, a podcast created for professional bloggers to help you expand your reach and maximize your bottom line. I'm your host, Val Geisler, fellow blogger and marketer at ConvertKit. Is blogging dead? It's a question posed on the internet over and over again as content creators shift with the ever-changing tide of social media, sales funnels, and email marketing. And when bloggers struggle to answer this question, they often cling to the business models that others have successfully used to get to where they want to go. But climbing someone else's ladder is never as impactful or fun as climbing your own. That's why today we're talking to Kathleen Shannon, owner of Braid Creative and Consulting and co-host of the Being Boss podcast. Kathleen specializes in personal branding and helping creative entrepreneurs blend more of who they are into the work they do. In this conversation, Kathleen shares why paying attention to the little things can have a massive impact, how getting clear about her goals for her blog helped her earn more revenue, and why she thinks you should be giving away all of your best stuff for free. If you find yourself feeling inspired by today's interview and want to impact your own reach right away, get your free action guide from this episode at convertkit.com slash reach, or just click the link in your podcast player. Let's find out how Kathleen Shannon achieved her reach. Hi, Kathleen. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Val. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, I've known you for a couple of years online, and we've hung out in person now, but a lot of our listeners will either know you from your podcast or maybe from your original blogging, but some might not know who Kathleen Shannon is. Can you walk us through the history of your blogging experience, and we'll talk a little more about what it looks like now? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the story probably starts whenever I was in college and I had a live journal. I don't, did you do any of that, Val? Oh, yeah, live journal <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So I had a live journal and I know that it seems kind of silly, but I think that that was a really f- good first step as far as just feeling like I was growing up in a space where you could share your feelings online. And of course, I only had a select few people reading that, but. Um, after I graduated college and got a job in advertising, I decided to start a blog spot, which felt like a big leap, just having this blog that was open to the public that anyone could comment on. And um, my blog was all about buying an old historical home and remodeling it and general lifestyle stuff. But my life at the time was really focused on figuring out how to decorate a house and how to do domestic things like cooking and cleaning. And I remember at the time I was reading a lot of home decor blogs and that was definitely the focus there. Um, I was working in advertising for about five years and I didn't really blog a whole lot about my work, but I think that people knew I was a designer and things for my blog, which was com. things for my blog really grew and exploded whenever I got married. So that's whenever I realized that big life events can be, um, a big growth point for my blog, but not in an intentional way. And in fact, I kept all the planning and everything of my wedding a secret. I just kind of let people know after the fact, like, hey, I'm married. But what got a lot of attention were my wedding invitations. So I'm a graphic designer. I designed my own wedding invitations on an extreme budget. I think I printed them off or, you know, gathered all the materials and designed them for $65, kind of using what I had, the kind of like paper samples I could scrape up around my advertising agency. 
So I designed these wedding invitations for myself on a budget, and I thought that they were really cool. They were really Wes Anderson-inspired. And this was before Pinterest and before Instagram and before all the things that make the wedding industry what it is today. So I felt like I was real cool. I blogged about those. And what happened was Joanna Goddard noticed them. And so she put them on her blog, A Cup of Joe. I don't know how Mm -hmm. many of your listeners are familiar with her blog, but she's a really amazing blogger and she was the biggest blog at the time. So she featured my wedding invitations and um, it just blew up from there. I had a bunch of other offbeat brides emailing me asking me if I could design their wedding invitations. Meanwhile, the wedding itself got featured on Glamour Magazine's blog. So that was definitely a big boost in traffic to my personal blog. Did you blog about the wedding knowing that that was going to happen? That you you saw other people blogging about their wedding? And um, I mean, did you have any idea that Joanna Goddard would feature you, that you'd end up on Glamour Magazine, and that you would have that expansive reach that quickly from a few posts? Yeah, no, I had no idea. I was not intentional about anything back then. There was no like, oh, this might get good traffic. And I I blogged about the wedding because it was a huge part of my life. Um, But it was a wedding at my house. It wasn't particularly stylish. I think just because it was at my house is what made it a little different. And that's what made people, that's what made it stand out. But it it definitely would not get the traction today that it got back then. I think because of things like Pinterest, I really had no idea. And I emailed it to Joanna Goddard. I emailed her the invitations because that's really what I was most proud of. And I thought that she might like it too. And I had noticed that she was featuring a few other paper goods projects. And so I thought that she might like it. Um, And she did. But yeah, I had no idea. Did you know Joanna or did you like... I mean, I I think what I hear over and over again is these moments of I'm just gonna I'm just gonna send it I'm just gonna ask I'm just gonna reach out. Um, did you have a personal relationship with her, or did you have someone who gave you her email address? How like what was the impetus for emailing beyond you saw that she liked it and like it, that takes some balls and I know you have some balls. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I just cold emailed, and I think that a lot of that stuff was out of just being naive, you know? And I think that she's such a good blogger that she makes herself seem really approachable. Um, So I just emailed her out of the blue. I didn't even, I don't think at the time I even knew anyone that knew her. So yeah, totally cold email. I can't really, it's funny that you asked that because looking back, I'm like, how did she even open it? Right. (laughs) That's And that's pretty amazing. But you also know as a blogger that, Bloggers like to hear from people. I mean, you don't want to just write to an empty internet. Once you have made that leap from live journal to blogger, um, you don't want to just write to an empty internet. You want people to read what you're writing. Um, And so it probably was was nice for her to get an email from someone who has followed her. And and I'm sure that I don't know if you even remember what was in the email that you sent. But I think that this is a really pivotal moment for you to be able to reach out and say, hey, I made these invitations. And I noticed that you like these things and that you you showed your attention to her blog in your email. Is that Oh, totally. And I kept the email short. So even back then, as naive as I was, I wasn't, I I still had enough (laughs) 
awareness to not send a novel of a email. And it really, it was just that I thought you might like to see these. I'm not expecting anything from you, but I did notice that you are featuring some things on your blog. I wasn't even really thinking about how a feature could help propel my own business. Like I was just so, I was really doing it out of, this sounds so naive and Pollyanna-ish now, but I was really doing it out of like a genuine, hey, I like this. I'm proud of it. I noticed that you like things like this too, and you might like to put your eyes on this thing that I created. I mean, that was truly it. And then she was like, I would love to blog about these. And then I would love to put your wedding on Glamour Magazine blog. So it was just a really serendipitous thing that happened. Because you made I wish, the ask. I wish I had like more of a formula, like here's what I did <laughs> and here's what time I emailed and here's exactly my word count and here's exactly how my pitch went down. But it just wasn't even like that. But I think the formula is as simple as um, you know, making the ask and and noticing what someone is interested in and sharing your own experience with them. Um, and and that was because you would follow Joanna and read her blog and you knew what she liked and didn't like. And and you knew that what you had fit the bill of what she would potentially like. Um, but you mentioned that your you said that your naivety was that you didn't realize how it would impact your business. Was your blog a business at the time? No. And um, yeah, no. And it never really was a business. What happened was I decided to quit my job in advertising because I was getting enough requests for wedding invitations that I felt that I could take a leap and be able to make enough money to survive, right? So what happened when I quit my business, I still wasn't even thinking about search engine optimization. I for sure didn't have an email list at the time. I was just blogging about what I was doing all day and somehow attracting enough people to hire me and to pay the bills. And at that time, I did start making asks in my blog. So at the end of my posts, I always had the awareness to tell people what I wanted them to do, whether that was comment on the blog, which is what it was for a long time. I just wanted them to interact with me to then here's how you can hire me. So I really was always aware of letting people know how they could hire me. And maybe at the point in which I quit my job, my day job, I did put up in a sidebar, here's how you can hire me. Here's how to get a hold of me. Here's what you can hire me for. So really super basic stuff. Um, I was in no way an expert at freelancing or working for myself. I was completely new to it. Um, I was the first person in my family to really make that leap. And so I decided to blog about that adventure as I was going through it. So just like I was blogging about decorating my house and remodeling my first home to um, now freelancing and really just sharing the journey along the way, I was actually able to position myself as an expert in working for myself. So I was just kind of blogging about the adventure. And then I had other people like photographers and designers emailing me, asking me tips on how to do it themselves. So I found myself emailing them back and never hearing a response. And then I also found myself being asked the same questions over and over via email. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should put 
this on my blog. Like it was almost out of resentment that I was like, well, if I'm going to tell you all my secrets and not even get a thank you, I might as well tell the whole world my secrets. So that's whenever I actually learned the power of giving it all away for free, which is what my philosophy for blogging has always been. Little did I know that's what you call now content marketing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And you developed a business without even really trying to. I mean, it was an expertise that you already had from your day job at the time of branding and, uh, you know, the the imagery and everything that you were putting into your blog, people were seeing and saying, that's something I want in in my own blog and in my business and and then asking you about it. So you were just using the expertise you had innately that wasn't actually even what the blog started being about. Totally, totally. And here's where I should mention that the blog started as jeremyandkathleen.blogspot.com. And yeah, so there came a time, when was it? I know that it was right around the time that I was pregnant. I decided to rebrand. You know, I don't know if I had started Braid Creative yet. It's so funny how like at the time it feels like such a big deal. And then a couple of years later, you can't even remember the details. But um, I decided to drop Jeremy from the name because I realized that I was building a personal brand and people were really confused by the Jeremy part of my URL. And so the reason why I had his name in there is because he used to kind of do a little bit of live journaling himself. So whenever I started Jeremy and Kathleen, I thought that it would be a collaboration, mm-hmm. that it would be something that we were both contributing to. But it turned out that it was really just my own project. So I dropped his name from it so that I no longer had to explain to people or, you know, no longer. I, I also started to feel like, ah, I was sick of all the joint email accounts and joint Facebook accounts. I just felt kind of dorky having a joint blog account called Jeremy and Kathleen. So I dropped his name. So it was just annkathleen.com. And that's where I thought this is really, this is probably whenever I started getting intentional about my brand and what I had to offer. So I was using Anne Kathleen now as a platform to blog about lifestyle stuff, but I had sort of figured it out. So I started to get sick of blogging about lifestyle stuff. And I really started blogging more and more about business. Um, I So then I started Break Creative and decided to use really a similar kind of model. Well, let me back up here. My sister who is my business partner at Braid, she quit her job in advertising after I had been freelancing for a year. So me blogging about freelancing and talking about freelancing had actually been enough to convince her to quit her own job as creative director, vice president of an advertising agency to join forces with me. Well, that's pretty powerful. It was pretty amazing. And I told her, so whenever she quit, a lot of people don't know this about Braid Creative, but we thought that we were going to specialize in working with credit unions, which sounds maybe totally bizarre, but that's what our agency experience was in. We knew that credit unions, like we had some expertise there. We knew that they had marketing departments with budgets. It would be so much easier than just doing whatever. So we really kind of positioned ourselves um, in a way that would attract credit unions. But I told my sister, I said, hey, but I'm attracting this tribe of other creative entrepreneurs who are really attracted to the strategy that I offer in my blog posts. And I would love to be able to create a, I I called it at the time, a brand starter kit for creatives who are maybe quitting their day jobs and looking um, to brand themselves as experts in their fields. 
So, so yeah. So you really just paid attention to the people you were attracting and made the shift from what you thought you should be doing to what you're doing now and and what actually worked. I mean, credit unions could have worked because you had the experience. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it totally could have worked. But as soon as we launched, what was surprising to me, what I did not expect is that whenever I launched Braid Creative, that my followers from Anne Kathleen would follow me over there. That was the biggest surprise in the whole shebang. So not only did they follow me over to Braid Creative, but they started hiring me there as well. And we never, we ended up not getting a single credit union (laughs) and off the bat started working with creative entrepreneurs. So I had sort of pre-paved the whole thing with Anne Kathleen, but then kind of made it official. I put that in air quotes, made it official over at Braid Creative. Podcast air quotes. Um, (laughs) uh, Well, you know, the biggest thing, though, is that your audience was telling you all along what they needed from you, and all you did was listen to it. And and, 100% and respond. Did you link the two blogs in any way? Were you um, like writing about Braid on and Kathleen and that's why they came over or were they just like Googling your name and finding both sites? I was absolutely writing about Braid. So again, Anne Kathleen was all about sharing my life as it was happening. And so once I launched Braid, I really had nothing else to talk about. (laughs) So so I was talking a lot. I I had a series on Anne Kathleen called Freelance Matters. And so I... I can't remember when I stopped doing that, but it turned into um, really blogging about Braid. And then, okay, here's something else that happened. Within a year of starting Braid Creative, I noticed that, um, again, listening to my, my people that were hiring me, I noticed that what they were doing professionally was really impacted by what was happening with them personally. So I would get done doing someone's brand and business vision And at the end of the conversation, they might reveal to me that they were going through a divorce or that they're thinking about having kids. And they were curious how these sorts of life milestones might impact their business. And I felt entirely unequipped to be having those kinds of conversations. I was also a big fan of coaching. I had hired my own executive coach. Um, to help me in the transition of starting a business with my sister. And I really just started to fall in love with self-development. So I decided to get coaching training from Martha Beck. So I went through a seven-month program with her. And what I did is I started blogging about coaching, and I called it Coaching for Creatives, over on Anne Kathleen. And I would kind of link it up to Braid, but I didn't quite know how creative coaching fit in with my business model at Braid at the time. Now I can see it totally clear. It's no big deal. Um, But really just recently, I moved all those posts over from Anne Kathleen, those coaching for creative creatives posts over to Braid Creative. So, and there was a lot of confusion too at the time. I was constantly asking myself and I'm still asking myself, maybe I should just shut down Anne Kathleen and only blog over at Braid Creative. But then there's still some deeply personal things that I just want to have that space for. So things like talking about motherhood. And that's the thing I'm figuring out now that I could be blogging personally about, but my boundaries have changed a little bit since becoming a mom. So the very thing I would be blogging about is the very thing that 
I don't want to be blogging about. (laughs) I think a lot of our listeners have that balance of they have a business that is earning them money and that they, you know, they listen to what their their readers wanted, maybe started a second blog or um, started a business and a blog for that. And and then they still have their personal brand and um, and they want to be able to balance between both. So it's nice that you can share that you're still figuring that out, too. Oh, yeah. And that's the biggest question I get is, should I have one blog or two? Mm. Should I, should I, you know, blend the personal with the professional? Should I bring some of the professional into the personal? I think my biggest advice there is don't make assumptions about what your audience wants or doesn't want. Don't assume that just because someone loves reading about your personal life, that they won't like to hear about what you're doing professionally and vice versa. People are hiring people. We're all humans. We're all living a human experience. So don't think that your clients might not be interested in what you're doing personally. And that was definitely an adjustment between Anne, Kathleen, and Braid. But what I was finding is that a lot of my Braid clients and even my more conservative professional ones were finding me over at Anne, Kathleen and really resonating with the stuff that I was posting there too. Yeah. And that's so powerful to be able to share. I mean, you know, that awful buzzword of vulnerability. Um, but it's it's so true in branding that being able to share your vulnerable moments and 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 knowing what your boundaries are too. Like you mentioned, um, the the very thing that you would be blogging about is something you don't want to blog about. Knowing that mm-hmm. and know and I know that you've kind of gone through um, different deciding points about that, but knowing what you are willing to be vulnerable vulnerable about and sharing that can actually impact your brand in a bigger way than you ever thought possible because you don't know what people do and don't want to hear about. Yeah, totally. I mean, I would say one of my biggest clients to date is Brene Brown. And I had done a book review of Daring Greatly on Braid Creative. And that's how she found us. So I tweeted at her, same thing like with Juliana Goddard. I tweeted at her and said, hey, I reviewed your book. Thought you might be interested in seeing what I had to say about it. So she read that, but then somehow found her way over to my personal blog, saw that I was eating paleo, and that was a diet that she was interested in at the time. So it was even that. So talk about vulnerability. She's the queen of vulnerability. She like <laughs> made that term a part of our popular culture. So um, being vulnerable there landed me her as a client. And I'm sure that it's repelled some clients as well. And that's that's fine. That's no big deal. But, oh, I was going to say that a lot of people ask me, should I have one blog or two? You know, why do I have two? And the answer is, for me, whatever is going to allow you to write the most and to be the most creative and the most expressive and feel the most like you is what you should do. So for me, the answer was two blogs. I I wrestled with it for sure. But for some other people, it might just be one. So on those blogs, since you do have two, um, is there a particular post that has the biggest reach that has, I mean, maybe it's that for you. And reach can look like a lot of different things because maybe that paleo post, it was what got Brene Brown to respond to you and to become one of your biggest clients. So that's a form of reach. But then there's another form of reach that is more public and like shares and, uh, you know, kind of infiltrating the internet. So what would you consider to be the biggest reach of either of your blogs? 
Well, just to clarify, I actually now have three blogs. (laughs) (laughs) True, because we haven't even talked about being boss. Right. So I started a podcast called Being Boss, and it was kind of almost as a way to bring more of my personal brand back into the mix to have a place to be candid. Because this is actually something that really has impacted my blogging world is haters. Mm. So like haters became a thing and I felt less comfortable blogging, but podcasting has given me a new place to be candid and to be myself and to share who I am in the same way that I was on Anne Kathleen back in the day, but still bringing in some of that business savvy into it as well. But um, as far as reach goes, you know, it's so funny on Anne Kathleen, um, one blog that got a lot of attention that had like the highest metrics was a blog post about deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> like people really loved hearing about my armpits. Mm, yeah. Well, you know, especially if it's a particular, like it was an all natural deodorant and yes, yeah, exactly. Everyone's always looking for the right recipe. Which is there. so funny because I just revisited the all natural deodorant route and I did a periscope about it the other day and it was a huge post in the Being Boss Facebook group, which has like over 11,000 people in it. So that's almost a form of, that could be a form of blogging in itself. It's just so funny how the landscape of how we share content has changed even just in five years. From live journal to podcasting and periscoping and And Facebook Facebook live videos. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All of it. Okay. So So I would say like... Um, maybe on, you know, it's so hard. Okay. So I'm the kind of person that does not look at my Google analytics. That's okay. I'm working on it. I'm starting to see how data and story can really complement each other and how data can help me make better decisions whenever it comes to how my customers use my websites. Um, that's huge. Um, that's a huge business move in your blog to be able to look at the data and, and know what's working and what's not. Um, and and right. adjusting from there. So, for example, on um, on being boss, I was actually just look, pulling the metrics on that before we got on the call together, and I noticed that one of our posts that has been the most popular, and again, you know, really defining reach is kind of a personal thing, I guess. But the one that's been the most popular is my Post-it note method. So, I think that posts that share how I get stuff done really do have. A lot of reach. And that's kind of how I built my business, right? Because I had this entire blog series called Freelance Matters, and that had a lot of reach and impact in my own business and on the business of others. So I did this post on beingboss.club called the Post-it Note Method, where even with Asana and Google Documents and all the different online systems that I have for getting stuff done, sometimes it comes down to writing three things on a Post-it Note and sticking it to my computer, and that is what I will get done. So that post has actually been the most popular. But we also see traction in things like whenever we're blogging about bullet journaling or um, really tactical stuff. So that helps us make decisions like, okay, what are uh, – and also – audience engagement is down. So where I used to be able to ask people to comment on a blog post and tell me what they like and don't like, no one's commenting anymore on blog posts because they're commenting on things like Instagram and Twitter and um, you, or they just don't have time. So we don't even have comments, but what we do have are analytics and that's where we can see what is having impact for people. Yeah, that's the easiest way to see exactly what people are searching for and what they're 
um, diving deeper on and spending more time on on your site, you can see all that information right there in your Google Analytics. So we'll link up to both the deodorant post and the post-it notes <laughs> post um, since, you know, people are interested, obviously. And I'm trying to think on Braid Creative what has had the most reach there. But I, I'll share with you the Daring Greatly book review because that's what landed me Brene Brown as a client, which has been a huge win personally and professionally. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing people can learn from you, Kathleen, is to just make the ask or not even an you didn't even really ask in either of those cases, you just shared. That's all you did was share the what the invitation, the book review, and just said, hey, I did this thing. um, And I thought you would like to know about it. So it wasn't even really you didn't say, hey, I wrote this book review so that you can hire me one day. Or (laughs) or, you didn't you didn't ask Joanna to write a blog post and another magazine article about you. You just shared what you had done. And I think that's what it comes down to, especially as things are moving more and more fast paced. It's really just about making connections. And so what I've tried to do is always engage in the platforms um, professionally that I'm enjoying personally. So whenever it comes to blogging, I really love writing. So I'm going to blog and I'm going to read other blogs and comment on them. Um, So I think that's part of it too, is realizing that there is a give and take whenever it comes to that sort of engagement. So if you want more people to comment on your blog, you should probably comment on other people's blogs. It's kind of like do the thing that you want. Yeah, true. And so even with like podcasting, I started really loving listening to podcasts. I started really engaging with being interviewed on podcasts. So it was a totally a natural fit whenever I decided to launch my own podcast. And now I'm doing the same thing that I'm asking people to do, which is to give me ratings and reviews or to um, to join the Facebook group. I'm trying to do that for the podcasts I love. Like I'm going and giving them ratings and reviews and really trying to interact with them or signing up for their newsletters and hitting reply and just telling them like, Hey, so that's kind of like blogging too. Like I just emailed Joanna Goddard and I was like, Hey, I love your stuff. I thought you might like this too. Some of my favorite creative entrepreneurs, Paul Jarvis is a good example of this. I had been getting his Sunday dispatches for a while and he did a a Sunday Dispatch, so which is his weekly newsletter about haters. And I replied back and said, hey, I don't normally comment and no response needed, but I feel like you could use some love. I really dig the stuff that you're putting out there. And this month we're launching a project together. Yeah. So that's how our relationship has grown just from one simple email. So I think just remembering that there are humans behind every blog, behind every podcast, behind all this content so engage with them the way that you would want to be engaged with and and engage with your audience like you're writing for just one person, even if you have 20,000. That's exactly right. You know, it's interesting to look at the those small numbers, too, um, because they do impact your business. So no matter what the number is, whether it's the, the small number of your on your email list, because each one of those individuals matter. And like you said, it could be 20,000 on your email list. And guess what? Those are 20,000 individuals, right? So mm-hmm. they're they're real people on the other side of it. Um, and I have an email story I can share. Oh, yeah, please do. Like I love email stories. So, I mean, email is like, I've become such a nerd for it. And I, if anything, 
I'm curious to hear what you think, but I think that emails are replacing blogs for sure. Mm -hmm. And I started to see this happening a couple of years ago, but email is a great place to make genuine connections, but also to make very explicit asks and to also track the data there. I mean, I feel like email has everything in it that you need, but, um, so our email list at Being Boss is around five or six thousand now, and we're recently we just launched a course called Oh no, I'm sorry, this is for our Being Boss Clubhouse. So we have an exclusive community for bosses, and we noticed that 81 people out of six thousand we had tagged as interested in the clubhouse. I can't remember how they got tagged, but surely they clicked through on a link that made us know that they were interested. So we sent out an email this week to 81 people just saying, hey, here's some stuff going on in the, in the clubhouse if you're interested. Also, we're doubling the price in 48 hours. And we got three purchases within an hour of sending out that email. But I know if we had blasted that email out to 6,000 people yeah. that we would maybe have gotten the same amount of sales and probably a lot of unsubscribes. So that's just a story about how like a very small number, like 81 versus 6,000 or versus 20,000 mm -hmm. can still have a big impact on your business. Yeah, that being able to do that, those advanced automations like tagging and target that specific, you probably also saw a huge open rate on that email as opposed to your other emails, um, just those regular broadcasts that go out. Typically, when you're sending a an email to a tagged group like that, a very specific group who's already expressed interest, the open rate climbs like 80, 90 percent. And um, yeah, you do see those those responses. And it's the same thing with any of your content, like any blogging or podcasting. I think that smaller numbers put you in a really good position to make really genuine connections, to really explore what it is that you want to be known for and to blog about those things or to podcast about those things. Yeah. So since we're talking about small things, what post on your blog, on any of your blogs, has the smallest reach that you really wish people saw more often? You know... <laughs> I would say I, I don't really know because it's hard to pay attention to the ones that are Or maybe I guess the question is like, what post did you write that you feel like no one really noticed or you didn't hear a lot about um, that you really want more people to have noticed? You know, honestly, I would say the entire website at beingboss.club, um, once we launched that that website with the blog functionality where we're really writing articles, I feel like we're writing really good content there that is not getting the same amount of reach that my blog posts from Braid Creative and Anne Kathleen have gotten in the past. So it makes me wonder, it makes me ask the question, is blogging dead? Like, is this is this worth it? Is emailing and podcasting where it's at? Like, are we spinning our wheels here trying to have a blog anymore? Um, so I, I kind of wish that that entire website would get more traction. But I just did a post called really stop dreaming big and just do the work. And I really outlined what my hustle does and does not look like. And I just wish that more creatives knew that sometimes like hustle does not look like achieving your big dreams. It doesn't even look like landing that huge client that you've admired for years. Sometimes it literally looks like opening up an email, typing the ask and hitting publish, right? So sometimes it just my hustle looks like really little things that 
over time make big moves. I just wanted to like pause in reverence of what you just said. Like that, um, that is such a powerful lesson to learn. And you've learned that over the course of five years. And someone listening now can learn that right now, that it's about those little <laughs> things that really move the meter a lot. And that's what the hustle is. It's not, um, it's not the, the, getting to a six figure month or, you know, some of those other things that we hear about all the time. It's not the noisy stuff. It's, Mm -mm. it's the, the quiet, um, you know, the quiet little actions that, that people aren't shouting about from the rooftops. And I think it's hard because we see people that we really admire. So for me, the people that I admire, are Marie Forleo, for example, or Danielle Laporte. And as I'm really climbing my own ladder, I'm realizing, man, they're still climbing too. Like they're putting in the work and doing that hustle every single day. I just think that, you know, okay, just going back to my wedding as a metaphor, if Pinterest and if um, Instagram and all of these sharing, these very visual sharing platforms had been around whenever I was planning a wedding, I would have never submitted my stuff to Joanna Goddard. I would have felt so intimidated. I would have felt like everyone else had it figured out but me. And I feel like that's kind of the world of online business right now is that we're almost too intimidated to start small because we feel like everyone else has it figured out and we'll never get there. But it really is just one small thing at a time. So going back to email, just because I'm totally nerding out on it right now. I love hearing I have that. An, <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I know. You and Emily have got me hooked on the email thing. <laughs> so, um, so starting with email, for example, whenever I have people opting in, I have a seven series automated automation. So like seven emails that go out in drip content to people who sign up for my newsletter. I would love to have automated series upon series upon series, right? Where within the first three emails, they click that they're interested on learning more about um, personal branding. And then I have three more emails that go out to them from there and, you know, really like super choose your own adventure. But right now I just have that first sequence. That's all I've got. But I know that in a year I might have eight different sequences that people can journey down. You don't need the whole map to go on the road trip. You just need like the first couple of steps, right? Totally. You said, and I don't know that you even know that you said this, um, you said climbing your own ladder. And I think that that is so impactful to think about, you know, we, there's always a sense, I mean, forever people have been talking about climbing the ladder and, but it's always the ladder and not your own ladder. And so if everyone could just stop climbing the proverbial ladder and climb their own ladder, I think we'd find a lot more fulfillment and satisfaction in our daily lives. A hundred percent. Kathleen, what do you want to do with the reach that you have now? That's such a good question. And it's taken a lot of like philosophical soul searching to to uncover. But when it comes down to it, the theme that comes up over and over again in my life from whenever I was a really little kid to now professionally and personally is I just want people to feel like they can be who they are 100% of the time. And it feels so trite and so cheesy to say that. But, and I live in a bubble 
Um, and I work in an industry where a lot of people are doing that. They're able to be who they are 100% of the time. But then every once in a while, I catch a glimpse of people who are looking at my work that are like, wow. Like, I didn't know that you could, to put it super shallow, like, I didn't know that your work clothes could also be your plate clothes, like, that you could just wear the same thing all the time. Like, that's a really superficial example of it, but really being able to bring your values, um, your personal values into your work and vice versa, bringing your work ethic into your life. I think that that's huge. And so, yeah, to be able to be who you are 100% of the time and then also on the flip side of that, to be able to make money doing what you love, or even if you don't love it, because we all know that jobs are jobs, being able to make money doing what you're best at and what you feel um, will make the world a better place to live in. So that's really what I want to do with my reach. And are you doing those things for yourself? Yeah, totally. Um, And that has been with intention. So, you know, I talk about how a lot of this has been a mistake and I grew it by accident. But once I was able to bring some awareness into my work and really understand what my my values and mission are in my work, now every single decision I make from the sponsors that we bring onto the podcast to the content that I'm writing, I ask myself, will this help someone be who they are? Will this help someone make money doing what they're best at? And if I can answer yes, the content goes out. I like the filter for the content and to always, maybe that's what goes on your post-it note on the computer screen, <laughs> um, is just your, your personal filter for, um, like our filter at ConvertKit for the blog is, is this something that I would share like in a personal email to a friend? Would I say, you have to read this article if I found it on the internet? Um, and that's our filter for what goes onto the blog. So knowing what your personal filter is, whether it's, um, you know, that shareability or is this 100% reflective of me, um, whatever it is, but having that filter for yourself. Right. Yeah. And even if I feel like it's not 100% reflective of me now, is it is it reflective of who I want to be mm. in this world? Yeah. Um, dressing for the job you want. Right. And that's really what blogging taught me. I had no idea how much, how much value blogging would bring to my life. But for example, like one of the most influential things I've ever done in my life is take a backpacking trip through Nepal up to Mount Everest base camp. And I don't think I would have taken that journey if it had, if I had not had a place to share it. So for me, sharing my life as I'm going through it has been a huge impact, like for me personally. And Nepal influenced you in your personal life, and it influenced you in in a lot of ways, one being because you can share it. Um, Is there anything that influenced you specifically in achieving your reach, Uh, like something that you read or... Um, absorbed, whether it was a book that you read or a person, um, someone you followed for a long time that has impacted you in the way that you run your businesses today? Totally. So Brene Brown's Daring Greatly was huge in just being able to show up and be seen and be vulnerable in business. And then 
um, Jason Fried and David Heinemeyer mm-hmm. Hansen wrote Rework. Yeah. And that has been my business Bible from day one. And funny enough, I was able to interview both of them on my podcast. So it's been such a cool thing to be able to interact with heroes of mine who have 100% impacted the way that I run and live in my business. We read, we read Rework. That is a tongue twister. (laughs) That's what every podcaster should say before they get on. So they're like audio we, check. We read rework. We totally. <laughs> it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. But we did as a, a a team at ConvertKit and talked about it. We had a little internal book club and talked about the book and what lessons we could glean from it. And I think a lot of businesses do the same thing and use it as an example of how to do business differently. And it's such a great tie-in to you know, what you want to do with your reach, that you want to teach people how to do things a little bit differently than they are doing it, because you want to give them the opportunity to be themselves 100% and to um, make money doing what they're best at. And those guys had the ability to to teach what they wanted to through the book. And you're doing it with your podcast and your brands and the work that you're doing now. And it's not surprising to me that you mentioned Rework. <laughs> and speaking of reach, what was interesting to learn from David Heinemeyer Hansen whenever I was interviewing him is that those that entire book was a blog post or you know multiple mm. blog posts that they curated together and then they cut it in half. So they highly edited it to make sure that only the best was getting in there and they were able to get new reach. So even though I think this is a big fear of everyone is if they put everything out there, if they're sharing all their content on blog posts or in emails or on a podcast that they're burning through their content and they won't be able to sell it later. But that is so far from the truth. And that's a lesson that I'm trying to learn right now, whenever I'm trying because right now I'm trying to reach a new audience. So our podcast has plateaued a little bit. Um, We've got some loyal, devoted fans, but it kind of stopped there. So now it's like, okay, how do I reach the people who need to hear more about being who they are 100% of the time in work and life and making a living doing what they love. So it's always looking for what's the next step in in the reach. What is the the next level to reach for? Whether it's totally more or deeper. Um, you know, David Sherry talks about uh, with Death to the Stock Photo, he talks about wanting to have a deeper reach and not necessarily more. Um, though more would be great, but it's always for him it's about going deeper. What do you think about adding to your reach? Yeah. So for me, whenever I think about reach, I think about reach and I think about impact, right? And so right now I'm in a growth phase of my business where I'm trying to make the pool a little wider, but then at the same time, like it's probably cone shaped, right? I mean, it's literally a funnel. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just get real here. It's literally a funnel. So I'm trying to get the top of that funnel bigger, while at the same time making the funnel a little bit longer um, so that we are having more impact for the bosses who are really buying in. Uh, And we still do one-on-one work at Braid, which definitely has a high impact. It just doesn't have the same amount of reach that something like Being Boss does. So we're constantly just trying to do what we can for people for free and giving it all away. And if they do nothing else, if they never hire us, their business or their personal life might be better for consuming our content. Um, But then if they do want more, then they can hire us. And that's where they start to go down that funnel 
So yeah, I mean, it's always a little bit of both. And so my question is for myself, when am I going wide and when am I going deep? Yeah. And it just, it's, it goes through cycles, just like productivity and rest. It's, it's both. You need both. And going back to what you said about not making assumptions, not making assumptions about where people might be and how they're um, how they're interacting with you, because like you said, you'll have people who just consume the free content and um, and maybe they never become a paying part of your community or a client or anything like that. But maybe they do. And you're making an assumption about when that would happen. Um, but maybe the timeline's just a little bit longer than you thought or even shorter than you thought it needed to be. So always iterating and always looking at the impact that you have long term. Oh, yeah. And I've seen that happen in my relationships, even from my early days of blogging. Some of my very first readers have gone on to hire me three years later. And so I definitely call this farming, not hunting. And I like farming and hunting. I like a little bit of both. Um, I like going for the kill, but I also like planting some seeds and nurturing them and watering them and really seeing them flourish years later. But you have to have the patience and you have to have the consistency to really see that through. But once you do, and that's why I think goal setting is so important and making it visual is so, so important so that whenever you do reach those goals, you can see like, oh yeah, I wrote that down once upon a time and now I've made it. That's something to celebrate. Well, I am the biggest fan of analogies maybe on the planet. And so I love the farming and hunting analogy that you just gave us. And I think we should wrap up there. I, You have given us so much to think about um, and to, to not just think about, but to actually put into action. And, and the biggest thing being to reach out and to get in touch with people and to interact with a community and develop relationships, even those individual things and just sharing what you know, sharing your gifts of knowledge and uh, giving it all away for free so that it comes back tenfold. Totally. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Val. Thank you for being here, Kathleen. It's been a pleasure chatting with you as always. And I'm sure we will talk again soon. See ya. That was Kathleen Shannon of Being Boss and Braid Creative and Consulting. You can find out more about Kathleen and her passions at beingboss.club. Grab your free action guide from this episode to help you impact your own reach today. Head to convertkit.com slash reach or simply click the link provided right in your podcast player. It's time to expand your reach. We're so glad you started here. Thanks for listening.